I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. And this is GM GM from from Decrypt. All right, Jeff, we're back at it with Jesse Powell, true OG, founder of Kraken. Yeah, Jesse, I've known him for years. He's one of my favorite people in crypto. I mean, he's a hardcore old school Bitcoiner who's built a successful company exchange, but he's also like a really nice guy and really insightful. And he's got insights into, you know, the state of Bitcoin and Ethereum and new NFTs and just bigger picture stuff. He's always a lot of fun to talk to. It's good to have him on too. I mean, I want to push him a little on like, where does Kraken stand competitively these days? Because, you know, respectfully, I think everyone knows the name. And as you say, I mean, you and I remember them from the early days. I remember writing about Kraken in like 2013, 2014. But now, you know, I think the closest thing to a household name when it comes to centralized exchanges is Coinbase. And there are a lot of others. There's Binance, there's Gemini, there's Dexes. You know, so I'm kind of curious, like, I'm not sure I'm up to date on on just how well Kraken is doing and and who uses it. What's their marketing pitch? Yeah, I think they've always been used by kind of like, you know, hardcore crypto people. I think they're branching out a bit, but I think they're, you know, they're not as big, but they are respected. Let's get to Jesse in a second. But the other thing we got to push him on too is for such a soft-spoken guy, he is uh, very, you know, got very vocal political positions on yeah. like telling the state of New York where to go and recently like shutting his office in San Francisco over the state of, you know, crime right there. So let's, let's you know, see if we can wind him up a bit on that. Hundred percent. Shades of uh, Eric Voorhees, our great early guests. Some of that same, some of the same libertarian tendencies. So anyone who missed the Voorhees episode should listen to that. But let's let's bring him on. Okay, for sure. Without further ado, let's let's bring on Jesse. Let's do it. Okay, Jesse Powell of Kraken GM. Welcome right. to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start this way. You know, Jeff has been writing about crypto since very early. I've been writing about crypto since very early, and my earliest memory of Kraken is way back in 2015. And I wrote a story at Fortune after the bit license came out. And you and Kraken were the ones who swiftly first responded and basically said, because of this thing being as restrictive as it looks, we're out. We're just going to leave New York. We're not going to do business in the state of New York. And it really uh, waved a flag. It, it kind of set a standard that a lot of other crypto companies at the time followed. And if you fast forward to now, I guess I'd ask, do you think anything's better? How does the landscape look to you? And uh, have states improved how they're approaching crypto? I think most states have improved how they're approaching crypto. Uh, It looks like New York just wants to keep attacking crypto. This new stuff about mining, they don't like mining in their state, despite all of the the positive evidence that uh, it's doing a lot for sustainability of, of green energy and, you know, subsidizing the cost of, of green energy. It's bizarre. You know, New, New York, I hope that there'll be a significant regime change at some point and that uh, the people of the state will will demand uh, their, their rights as cryptocurrency users uh, to have access to this stuff. 
uh, you know, they've obviously missed out on a tremendous amount of, of possible wealth and gains through, you know, airdrops that they missed out on, ICOs that they missed out on, uh, the ability to trade and invest in certain things. Um, so, you know, after all this time, I mean, if we just look back and, and did a study of kind of the economic damage done by the bit license, I'm, I'm sure it would be tremendous in, in the billions of dollars. Um, but other states are are getting to be more and more open and welcoming of Bitcoin and, and even seeing it as uh, something that can create growth in their economy, something they want to attract to their state. I see a lot of states offering, you know, welcome packages for, for miners and, uh, you know, for crypto businesses that want to come in. Um, you know, Wyoming especially has been leading the charge for a number of years uh, on developing crypto-specific regulation. So, you know, I think the United States as a whole is, is getting to be in a better place. There's more clarity and more support for crypto. Uh, New York still stands out as, you know, the, the last holdouts, um, really, I think, who, who have the most hostile approach to crypto. Hey, Jesse, it's Jeff here. Um, I like that idea of commissioning a study on how much economic loss the bid license has caused New York. So if Kraken or any of your, your friends commission that, we will happily write that up. But um, speaking of the past, um, I think, you know, everyone knows Kraken and when they know you, I mean, you're sort of an iconoclast. You've been sort of always really bold in your opinions and running the companies you see fit. But what I think a few people don't know, including me, is where it all began. So take me back to, you know, I think Dan and I got into Bitcoin in 2013. When did you first encounter Bitcoin and crypto? So this was back in around March of 2011. And it was just through some random article on the internet. I'm actually surprised I didn't find out about it earlier, given that I was in the, the virtual currency business for video games for you know like a decade before this. Uh, so you know, among my group, I, I was probably a little bit late to the game in 2011. You know, quickly like went down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin. You know, at first I thought this is this is great. This is like another World of Warcraft gold that we can sell on our website, um, and you know, discovered that it was way more than that. You know, something that could totally change the world. And uh, you know, there had been other other ambitions for global currencies. Uh, you know, there was like e gold, and you know, some other attempts at at like a a real pegged independent currency um, that ultimately all got shut down due to regulatory reasons. It looked like Bitcoin maybe could withstand those attacks and actually, you know, was a way around the existing system. So I was pretty excited about that, about that just real practical business application, solving real world problems of Bitcoin. And then beyond that was just all the philosophical implications of like, what if, what if governments don't control the currency? And the more I started to learn about Bitcoin, the more I started to learn about the legacy traditional financial system, fiat currencies, uh, inflation, the way this whole system is is screwed up, and I got to be even more passionate about just the the great social good that that could come of uh, Bitcoin becoming the world's reserve currency. It's good to hear the origin story because now, if you look at the landscape, and you know, putting aside even like DEXs and Uniswap, but even just centralized exchanges and Coinbase's size and kind of having gone public, and there's Gemini, there's Binance, which still says it's the biggest in the world. I mean, what is Kraken's lane? Where does Kraken sit nowadays competitively? What's kind of the value prop for someone's ready to buy some some crypto? Why would they go to Kraken and, and not one of the others? Yeah, it probably depends on, on where in the world you are. Um, you know, Kraken's definitely not the the best place to buy crypto no matter where you are. You know, we, we have local payment rails in a few countries, but 
you know, we don't have local payment rails everywhere. And if you're trying to buy 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin, you certainly don't want to spend $40 on an international wire transfer uh, to do that. And so, you know, some people are definitely better off using local brokers. But like if you're in the United States, for example, or if you're in the Eurozone in Europe or you're in Japan, you know, we have uh, local banking rails there. We have a great onboarding and super cheap and easy you know, onboarding flow that, that you would be used to in sort of like a web two financial services app uh, where you, know, you can you can buy Bitcoin with debit card, credit card, ACH, um, all that stuff. So that's pretty easy. You know, I think there are a lot of, a lot of Bitcoin brokers and exchanges are kind of converging on a very similar feature set. You know, I think ultimately it's going to come down to the best UX and, and being able to do more of what you want in one place. And, uh, you know, for us, we're really focused on the consumer experience. You know, we started as a more professional platform focused on uh, more advanced traders. And um, just in the last year have have started to expand more into um, a consumer business, trying to onboard, you know, the next billion users to, to crypto. So that's really our focus. We're really obsessed with having, you know, the best user experience around that, just making it like super buttery, smooth and simple for new people to get on. Um, to, to join the crypto ecosystem. And um, we're looking for more use cases for them, you know? So I think NFTs is along those lines. It's like just another thing that you can do with crypto. Um, if you want to send NFTs around, if you want to participate in GameFi, you also need some ether or you need some gas of some sort to do that. So I think the more use cases we can come up with and expose people to, the more sort of gateways we have for people to to find their way to crypto. And hopefully, eventually, feel like they don't really need to have other currencies if, you know, if they need to hold Ether and Bitcoin and, you know, maybe even, you know, USDC or, or Tether uh, that, that they don't really feel like they need to hold fiat currencies anymore or even have a bank account at some point. And, you know, once we get into this mode of uh, having this kind of closed loop where everyone's got Bitcoin now, so like we don't need to go back to the banking system, um, you know, we can just completely transact in Bitcoin. You know, I think that's where the world really really starts to change. Jesse, just uh, Dan wants to take us into NFTs in a sec. He's kind of our NFT guru. But I want to stick with the business of exchanges for a sec. I know just watching kind of Coinbase as a public company, a lot of the uh, sort of bears are like, hey, trading fees are under strain, and that's where all the money comes from. Um, I mean, do you feel similar pressure at Kraken? Like, hey, everyone's cutting, you know, trading fees. Maybe it'll be zero soon. You know, we need other revenue streams. Is that an issue for you guys as well? Um, I, I don't really think there's like a lot of pressure on on trading fees, you know, I still feel like they're they're fairly low. I guess they could go to zero, but I, I don't feel like, you know, when the price of something is moving 20% every day, I don't think people bat an eye at 20 basis points. So, you know, I, I think I think people are still relatively insensitive to the fees. Um, I still think there's, you know, the fees are there for something, especially if you're you're buying Bitcoin with a credit card. You know, the the companies that are processing that have to deal with a tremendous amount of fraud. Uh, and and a, a major you know fraud mitigation operation uh, in order to maintain their their merchant relationships. So you know the fees are are not for nothing, and and I don't think anyone would want to go to like you know zero fees on credit card purchases of Bitcoin. So I, I think we're a ways off from that, and I, I don't see like a race to the bottom among the the exchanges. I do think we want to diversify though, and, and I think you know you'll see that's how how the other kind of major banks and and big financial services companies make their money is through these very diverse portfolios of of products for people. 
uh, while they might have free trading or quote unquote free trading, you know, it might be they're actually making a spread on that because they're doing their own market making, or uh, they might actually be making money on the margin trading, uh, the loans that they offer you, uh, you know, short term, long term, other financial insurance products or or whatever. And um, you know, staking is getting to be a bigger part of our business. Uh, so you know, that's some some diversification there. Uh, we have parachain auctions that that we're running, um, which is sort of on the bleeding edge of of crypto. And uh, I think the NFT marketplace is even going to be, you know, an additional, and it could be a, a revenue stream that's even larger than the spot exchange. So got high hopes for that. Uh, so I, I do think you'll see more diversification. And I think you'll see these, these crypto exchanges all kind of converge on a very similar feature set that become the sort of like super wallet, like Omni, Omni product app with like, you know, NFTs, spot trading, FX, maybe even stock trading, maybe even some more extreme crypto stuff. Ooh, stock trading. Maybe we're breaking some news here. <laughs> Cracking getting into stock trading. Yeah, I think we said before that that it's something that we're we're exploring and and I think makes sense to do. And obviously you see Robinhood and Cash App uh, starting to trade crypto. So I think you'll see crypto exchanges go back and, and add support for, mm. for stocks as well. That's awesome. Let's talk about that NFT marketplace. And uh, you know, as Jeff mentioned, mostly I've just become fascinated with with this because it's this subtopic within crypto that uh, for whatever reason, is so divisive, right? I mean, you've got companies all want to get in, and there's a lot of interesting kind of use cases that get discussed. And yet at the same time, a lot of non-crypto businesses find that when they try to just say, we're going to do NFTs, and maybe because they're cosplaying and they want to look like, oh, we're on the bleeding edge, they get a lot of pushback from people. They, you know, NFTs seem to really uh, trigger people. So, you know, what's what's your take on where things are headed, especially knowing that since you started out in in-game, you know, digital goods, I mean, you're the guy to ask here. Yeah, I think there are a lot of cash grabs out there and um, obviously a lot of rug pulls. So I think people should be aware of that. I think there's a huge, huge propensity for, for people to just become hype driven and, you know, not look at kind of like the long-term economics of something or long-term viability of a certain project. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of these are ultimately, you know, their art or their collectibles or their memberships to clubs. And some of these things, you know, they, they have a value at a moment in time when, when there's a lot of attention on them, you know, even like sports cards or certain comic books, you know, when, when, uh, you know, Babe Ruth was, was alive and maybe even for the generation after that, you know, people still knew his name and, and, you know, he was a legend. And, you know, I think over time, people also just stopped playing and watching certain games as well uh, or certain shows. So mm-hmm. how many Gen Z kids care to own a Babe Ruth baseball card? You know, I don't know, probably a lot fewer than, than did, you know, 30 years ago. So, you know, I think some of these things, like they have a time and, and maybe they hold value for a time until sort of the, the collector base dies off or loses interest or, you know, some of these things also have just kind of like an inter- eternal marketing engine. You know, like I think, I think something like a Disney or Pokemon NFT like would do really well because yeah, these guys are going to be like putting money into these franchises like you know for the next hundred years, and so they they will still kind of stay in the mainstream awareness. But things like you know particular games, you know, games are replaced by new games all the time, and so I would be very wary of just accumulating a lot of wealth inside of a game. I mean, if you just look at like World of Warcraft, for example, there's always this like power creep 
that happens, right? Like basically every every item, including the game currencies, are like losing value like by the minute. And you're sort of getting this like uh, utility value out of it, you know, while you have it, you're using it, you're playing with it, you're killing monsters faster or, or whatever. But that thing is losing value because at the next patch, they're going to relate, release an even more powerful item to make you keep playing, to have to like find the better thing. It's like Apple products, planned obsolescence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Planned obsolescence. And so like this power creep thing, you know, is just how most of these games work. And, you know, something that you have is probably not going to retain value, but that's how the game keeps people playing. So I think people need to like understand those those dynamics and the incentives. I think there's just a lot of stuff that like seems like there's a lot of hype on it, but like you have to ask yourself like are people still going to be hyped about this like 2 years from now? And if you're buying the thing just cuz you want to kill monsters today and like that's all you want, that's that's cool, but like if you're buying it as like a long-term investment, like this is your nest egg, uh you know, I you got to be thinking on that kind of time horizon as well. Like is that still going to be there in 20 years or whatever? Or even as a short-term investment, right? Because a lot of it right yeah. now are they're the PFP projects. It's Bored Apes or Moonbirds. You know, what, what do you make of the newer stuff that it, it all seems to be about the the flex and the uh, being in the club? And I guess if you don't think the killer use case is is in gaming, you know, what what would you tell NFT skeptics as to as to what the utility will be? Yeah, I I think with all of these PFP projects, it just it feels to me like you know, there's like a hot new club or, you know, these guys like these uh, mattress sales guys that are always going out of business and there's always like the last day sale or whatever, like the mega sale. And it's like, you drive by two weeks later and it's like a different name, but they're going out of business again. And it's like the same sale. So I feel like these things are just like, they're hot for a minute. Everyone's hyped about it. It's really, it's hard to know. Some of it's just blatant. Like you see guys trading with, with themselves, like on, on chain, you know, like selling their own NFT back to themselves at like 10 times the price. And, uh, you know, some of it's like highly controlled. People are in these Discord groups. And, you know, it, it's almost like the ICO craze all, all over again in, in a different form. I think some some are like totally legit and are great. Like, you know, they basically memberships to clubs and maybe you do get to go like on the yacht ride at the Bitcoin conference, you know, every year or something like that, if you hold this particular badge that gets you uh, on board. So I think there's some cool stuff like that happening. I, I think there could be some some cool stuff in GameFi, but probably mostly like cosmetic. You know, I think the plots of land thing is interesting, but again, it's like, is this the virtual world that's going to be the one that survives forever? Or, you know, is this plot of land basically like, you know, a plot of land in a city that's like, you know, on a decline. And, you know, at some point it's just like, everyone's moving to the new city and you're like, now your plot of land is worthless. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you. 
Well, Jesse, let's put it this way. Do you own any NFTs and which ones? I have a ton, I have a ton of <laughs> NFTs. Yeah, I have a ton. Most of them, you know, I started collecting NFTs as, as just like a way to collect cool art. You know, I thought it was cool that artists were getting involved. And, you know, this was like one of the first use cases for, uh, for crypto that I saw. Like, you know, the concept of colored coins was like an early thing in Bitcoin. I remember that. I'm surprised that it took so long for, for this to actually happen. And I, I can't like, like find the moment when this really tipped, but it was like some, somewhere around like when NBA Top Shots came out. I think like tons of people got interested in NFTs. And um, I thought the art thing was really cool. You know, an artist, I, I have this uh, nonprofit art center that I founded in Sacramento, California called Verge. Uh, I know a bunch of artists from that, you know, and I, I know kind of how much they struggle in life, you know, to, to make a living and everything and how tough it is to be an artist. And they usually have like side jobs uh, to, you know, to pay the rent and stuff. And so I thought it was cool that like, oh, artists are now like getting into NFTs and it was just be cool to support some artists and just like buy a bunch of cool art um, and try to encourage them to, to bring more artists like into the community. And so like I bought a bunch of those, just like one of one art, you know, on, on foundation and super rare. Uh, and then I, I bought a few of the, uh, the profile picks as well, just for fun. Uh, but I haven't gotten into to the game really. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think the future of NFTs is probably more like certificates of ownership of real things like consumables, like concert tickets. Maybe there will be some badges for, for met club memberships. Uh, I think there'll be like certificates of achievements. So like, you know, maybe your, uh, your college degree or your high school diploma or your black belt in jujitsu or whatever, you know, will be like, you'll have the provenance like on the blockchain where you'll be able to see, you know, someone like shows up at your jujitsu dojo and they're like, Hey, yeah, I'm a black belt. And, uh, you know, like, are you really like, you know, let me see the NFT. Let me see like who gave you that black belt. Yeah, Jesse, I'm loving this. Yeah, just, you know, cutting through the noise of it and what's actually useful. But a related question, I mean, Dan, I like talking to people like you and like Eric Voorhees, the OGs, because you got the long perspective. But in terms of Web3, there's so much noise out there. Who do you listen to out there? Is anyone new kind of come up who you think's kind of the voice defining, kind of cutting through the bullshit in Web3? Uh, you could probably take a look at who I'm following on Twitter. <laughs> but I also follow people who I think are... <laughs> Uh, just like nonsensical and crazy because I like to have that perspective too. But you got to tell us who's who. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't broken them out in a list. So, uh, but, you know, I think, I think Eric is great. Um, I think, you know, Nick Carter, I think Suju is great. Probably look at the guys who are like working at the funds who are investing in this stuff. I, I think generally have like a pretty good perspective. The guys at Paradigm, Polychain, even Andreessen Horowitz, you know, although I think uh, they like to pump their own bags a bit. Yes. There's a lot of super smart people out there. Obviously, I'm following, you know, Vitalik and the Bitcoin Core devs. You know, I don't know. I'd have to come back to you. There's probably like a long list of like, you know, 100 plus people. There's Oh, there's a website called Hive, Hive.one that actually ranks the, the top like Twitter accounts um, for Bitcoin and Ether. Hmm. So you guys should check that out. You know, when we talk about what's happening right now and, and you look at Web3, as Jeff said, how it's become a buzzword. I mean, it's a little bit like what I was asking about NFTs, but I, I often find that I'm sort of sometimes defending the space to people. And even it's it's now, you know, it was always that way that people who weren't in crypto would just say, I think it's all a scam or I'm just not interested. But now even within crypto, you've still got, you know, it's, I guess it's just interesting to me that the tribalism not only hasn't gone away, 
But now in some ways it has sort of grown. Like the latest thing is Bitcoin people trying to say, well, Bitcoin's over here and then there's crypto. We don't want to hear about crypto. Crypto is non-Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, especially from your perch at Kraken, you know, you guys are kind of coin agnostic. Uh, what do you make of, of where things stand, I guess, culturally within crypto? Yeah, we're, we're definitely agnostic. You know, we see ourselves as an exchange and, you know, NASDAQ or NICE, you know, wouldn't exist with only Apple stock or whatever you think, you know, Tesla stock, whatever you think the top stock is. We're, we're all for choice of currency and, and we don't want to try to pick winners. You know, I think we, we want to keep things that are like obviously scams out, but beyond that, you know, it's sometimes very hard to, to predict. I mean, just like, I mean, it's, it's basically early stage uh, like seed investing, like venture capital, you know, I mean, it's like so these projects are so early, you can do your basic diligence and you can like take a guess, but it's like, you know, five years later, like who knows, like they could be anywhere. And so for us and, you know, about the, the, the disputes in the space and, you know, Bitcoin maximalism. And, you know, I, I do think Bitcoin is in a bit of its own category. You know, there are some, some other proof of work coins, uh, but, you know, I, I think it's very hard to launch a new proof of work coin with Bitcoin out there. You know, I don't, I don't know if there will ever be another viable proof of work coin after Ethereum makes the switch. And so, you know, I think Bitcoin is a bit in a category of its own. And also because of the proof of work has this special thing about it. I mean, it's basically an energy coin, you know, which, which the other proof of stake coins are not, are not, you know, so I think there's something unique about Bitcoin. And, you know, I think if, if all Bitcoin did was just be a digital gold, that would be totally cool. But it looks like, you know, with, with lightning network and with, you know, there's some other cool things happening, you know, with side chains and stuff that, that maybe will, will allow more, more stuff to happen on top of the Bitcoin network. And I think all these other coins are doing interesting things too. And it's great to have this, this like playground and laboratory where like things are being tested and, you know, those things can always be like reincorporated back into Bitcoin. However, one other great thing about Bitcoin is that it's like very stable. There are not like a lot of major changes happening. You know, the, the core devs are just extremely cautious about making changes I think that's great for Bitcoin. I, I don't think everything has to be like that, but I think that's a unique, a differentiator of Bitcoin that it's so cautious that it's, it's something you can think about like, Bitcoin's probably still going to be Bitcoin like 10 years from now. Oh, well, Jesse, I can't let this slide without asking you, do you think the Ethereum fork is going to work? Because I know ETH, Ethereum's got lots of great devs. The merge. It's got Vitalik, yeah. the merge. I'm sorry, yeah, the merge, not the fork. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it just seems so much is riding on that. And it's just like, it's like waiting for Godot. Like every year is going to happen, then it doesn't. Every quarter is going to happen, then it doesn't. So, like, I mean, you know, and, and should this make, you know, ETH holders nervous? I don't, I don't think it should make ETH holders nervous. I mean, if anything, it's probably better that it's taking longer, that it would be more well-considered and perfected by the time that uh, it actually comes out of the oven. So I wouldn't be concerned by that. I mean, and, and then like, what's the rush? You know, I think it's doing okay as is. And, you know, I, I wonder if they'll even continue to be a, a proof of work Ethereum fork that, that survives. So I, yeah, I, I don't think people should be worried about it. You know, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion about it. You know, I'm not following like the technical nuances of, of why it's like, you know, constantly delayed and stuff. 
Yeah, that, that's wise, actually, in terms of like one thing that should not be rushed is major blockchain changes. So I think that's astute. Uh, Dan's going to take us to the end in a minute. But before we go there, I want to ask a completely different subject, something kind of close to my heart. I used to live in San Francisco. I love California. I have family there. I saw a crack and closed its office there because it's too dangerous. And I get it. I mean, I've walked through parts of San Francisco and it is kind of a hellscape. Yet some of the crypto people on Twitter sort of character the whole state as this like, you know, terrible hellhole. But, you know, I don't think it is. Like, I still see a lot of innovation. I still see a lot of great people there. So, like, I mean, are you ever conflicted? Like, you're a native son of California. Like, how do you feel about your home state these days? Yeah, I lived in California for a long time and and I lived all over the world. And uh, I keep coming back to California. You know, there's there's definitely a cost of living here. You know, it's it's not free. I look at it as like the price of of being in the club. And, you know, if you want to have like great weather most of the year and all of this stuff, like, you know, fresh produce and lots of interesting people around, you know, it's like part of the price. So uh, I cringe whenever I, I pay my taxes, but, you know, I think like, okay, I'm, I'm still like the trade maybe still seems like borderline positive, but I, it depends on where you live. If you're living in like the Central Valley, I would say it's probably not, it's probably not worth the check that you're writing. If you're living on the coast, maybe. But San Francisco has fallen quite far. You know, I, I first moved there around 2013 and um, it was a very different place than it is today. Uh, you know, it was, it was much safer. It was much cleaner. And uh, since then, I've just seen it deteriorate. You know, I, I used to live 12 minute walk from the office in Soma uh, that's south of market. And, um, you know, every day it was like playing hopscotch over human feces and used needles and guys with machetes. And it's just gotten to be an extremely dangerous place. And you, you can't leave your car parked on the street for more than five minutes because someone's going to break into it, whether you have something or not. You know, we had someone at the office, their car was broken into and they had nothing in it other than the car manual. So, uh, you know, whatever. $80 window replacement or something, you know, to actually there's a shortage of glass now in San Francisco. I don't know if you know this because of all of the break-ins. Uh, so it's gotten to be even more expensive to deal with this. So crime has just run, run rampant. The DA there uh, has this catch and release program. I mean, basically he feels like his, his worldview and his social agenda is that if you are committing crimes because you have been oppressed somehow or you've been discriminated against somehow, you're poor, um, you're an immigrant, whatever, that that is the reason for the crime and prison is not uh, a way to, to solve that. Prison is not a justified response to, to that. Unfortunately, you know, prison also is a, a pretty useful deterrent for crime. And you know, while I, I agree with, you know, that's probably not the best way to handle these cases, ideally some kind of... Um, uh, a process of rehabilitation or, you know, education and all of this stuff, you know, ideally we have these programs in place so we don't have to send people to prison, but in the absence of that, prison is a strong deterrent and that's basically off the table now. You know, you see, you see that if you follow the San Francisco police department's Twitter account, it's like all the time they're like arrested this guy for the 14th time. He's a prolific car thief. We'll see if he gets indicted this time. You know, and like next day, oh, arrested guy for the 21st time. Uh, this time he actually ran over a pedestrian with a stolen car. Well, too bad the DA didn't do anything like on the fifth time he did that. 
Yeah, I, I feel you. I mean, I love San Francisco, and I just think it's a shame what's happening to parts of it because, you know, I believe in social services, education, and health care, but I think safety is a service too. And yep. I think, you know, this people in San Francisco have already feel kind of gaslit by when it's like, no, everything's fine. I'm like, I'm not sure it is. But let's talk about happier things. Let's go back to coins and crypto and blockchain. I think Dan's got a good question for you. Let's do, we have a, Jesse, we have an array of sort of fun final questions that we sometimes right. choose from. So let's do this one. Especially we talked about being basically coin agnostic if you're operating an exchange. But just quickly, what right now are your three favorite, you know, that you think are the most interesting projects? Might be tokens, might be blockchains, could be an NFT thing, but three things that you're watching uh, that you think are, are really cool and interesting in the space. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm watching um, the Lightning Network closely. You know, I think this is super, super interesting. Um, I'm watching the the development of the NFT space, you know, especially Board Ape Yacht Club and Yuga Labs. And I wonder when they're going to take this thing too far. And if, you know, if the music is going to stop, like at some point, you know, it seems like they keep like parlaying this thing like over and over. And, you know, I, I bought one of these apes at like two ether and it's already returned like a hundred ether and like airdrops or something crazy like that to me, you know, and I'm just like, can this go on like forever? So I'm wondering about that. And I don't know, a number three thing, CBDCs are kind of oh, interesting. Sure. I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, sure. you know, we don't end up in a total surveillance state uh, with, you know, governments controlling all our money. Yeah. Well, speaking of stable coins, um, Terra Luna, is it too good to be true? Or uh, I just don't know what to make of it. I mean, they're obviously hardcore and they're doing it, but that 20% interest like is a giant red flag. Yeah, I think, I, I think that stuff, any kind of interest rate like that, is a red flag. Uh, you know, I, I think there are some people willing to to just get crazy leveraged and and borrow at crazy rates because they're degenerate gamblers and <laughs> they think, well, Bitcoin's going up 100% next year, so like why not borrow at 20%? But I, I think that stuff is yeah, it is hard to sustain again. You know, I think people have to look like long term and a lot of these projects are they grow quickly when they're paying these rebates. Basically, there's some reward, you know, this this vampire attack thing where it's like, even the exchanges you see, you know, like volumes growing, but it's not like, it's not growing naturally. It's growing because it's like subsidized some for somehow, you know, like they're paying people for that volume. It's sort of like, there was some exchange that called it like trans fee mining or something like that. So it was like the more volume that you created, like the more, the more you got paid or something. And like, they were just trying to game the volume rankings of exchanges. You have to be like, you know, just conscious of these like market dynamics as well and the incentives that are out there. And like some of these things seem like they're growing like crazy until you realize that, wait a minute, they're just like paying, you know, like $100 for every user that signs up. Like, of course they're growing. Is anyone actually going to use this when they stop getting paid? Like, you know, who knows? Or just selling their own NFT to themselves. Yeah, exactly. But that's good advice. It's good advice to end on. I mean, Jesse, we could talk to you all night, but uh, thanks so much for joining GM. Keep us abreast of everything Kraken is up to. And we'll check back in with you soon. Will do. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Good to see you. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. GM is a Decrypt podcast produced by Red Rock Music. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. And our audio engineer is Enrique Inahosa. For more from Decrypt, go to decrypt.co or download our mobile app. Subscribe and review us wherever you listen. And we'll meet you back here next time for more crypto conversation. GM. GM.